Good to see everybody. Glad you are here. Thankful for the opportunity to uh, be together again. I see uh, Jeremy walking in, just coming from one of our interest meetings for Serve the Sense. So, so excited about all of you that went to that and her great, great opportunity uh, there and excited about what God's going to do through it. I ask you if you have your Bibles to turn with me to Genesis chapter 30. Genesis chapter 30. I brought in a hitman last week. He took two chapters away from me. So, uh, and uh, y'all probably looked at it and said, I want, him to, want Josh to go faster, but then you got two chapters and y'all got overwhelmed, didn't you? That's a too much. See? And so, uh, plus I gave him a good one. He had to talk about marrying the ugly one and marrying the pretty one. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all could imagine I would make some really funny jokes around that, but I'm not going to because it didn't happen, so I didn't take care of it. I just do want to make a few announcements, though. Really, really uh, one good one. Um, this coming Sunday, we'll have our regular Sunday morning services and times looking in Philippians chapter 2, continuing there. But then this Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m., Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m., we will have a service here at our church in our worship center uh, where we will gather together as the body to take the Lord's Supper. So our Lord's Supper service, if you were part of these, we did some two of these last fall, and I just love this time together, a time where all of us as the church body can gather together in uh here at the church and, and just focus in on what Christ's death means for us and, uh, and take the Lord's Supper together. So that's this Sunday at 5 p.m. You won't want to miss that and uh, you want to be here and, and observe that with us. Um, so looking forward to that. As I understand it, we'll begin tonight in Genesis chapter 30 starting in verse 25. Genesis chapter 30, starting in verse 25, and we'll continue through the, the story of Jacob, and especially in this as we're going to look at his relationship with his father-in-law, Laban. So uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we, we start there. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity for us to be together, and uh, God, we praise you for your kindness to us in giving us uh, times like this. God, we pray for all of those in the life of our church uh, that are hurting today, and we ask you to be with them. Um, and uh, Father, we just ask that you would continue to bless and continue to, to move and continue to work. Um, so God, in your kindness to us, help, it to, help that to lead us to faithfulness and repentance, as your word says. And so help us not to be hearers only of the word, but doers. And as we study tonight, help us to see what your word teaches us and go out and be obedient to it. All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Genesis chapter 30. Having walked through this passage, we have seen this relationship here of Jacob who had to leave his family because of the deception he out-deceived his brother Esau and out-deceived his father Isaac in order to get the birthright and inherit that, those promises. And so Jacob, because of that, had to flee for his life away from his brother Esau who was looking to kill him. 
Now, just to let y'all know, there is coming a confrontation between Jacob and Esau, and Esau may know that, but as he has fled, he fled back to the land of his mother, which was the land of Abraham from the beginning, and he went to the house of his brother, his mother's brother-in-law, his uncle, his mother's brother, his uncle Laban. So he's in the house of his uncle Laban. And remember, we were introduced to Laban earlier in the story as uh, as Abraham sent his his uh, uh, aide there, his servant, back to his land in order to find a wife for Isaac, and he found Rebekah. And if you look back, if you don't have to, but you can look back in chapter 24, Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban had noticed the gold bracelets that this man had given to Rebecca, and he went out and said, I need to find out who that guy is. And so quickly, we kind of noticed Laban's character. He was after the, the money, if you will. He was ready to bring him in. And so just kind of that short introduction showed us who Laban was. And then whenever Jacob ran off, you saw last week the great deceiver Jacob who deceived his brother and deceived his father. The great deceiver Jacob got out hustled. Y'all saw that last week, didn't you? He had out-hustled them, but when he got to Laban, he saw Laban's daughter and said, man, she is pretty. I want her. And so he worked for seven years to pull it off, and then Laban pulled the fast one on him and, and gave him uh, Leah. Poor Leah. Don't you want to just say poor Leah? They just kept calling her ugly. And so... You, you gave her Leah, gave her, gave him Leah, and so he had to work seven more years in order to get his the the daughter he wanted. And so here you have Jacob has finally gotten both of his wives, uh, Leah and Rachel, and God has started to bless him with children. And as Dr. Mathis walked through last week showing those, those 12 children that would come and how that works through, he did a, 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 a great job of pointing even to Revelation, how this is going to play throughout the scripture of these children. And so they begin to have children, and we saw that, even some rivalry in between them and, and other things. And we saw how that rose up. And then... At the end of verse 25, God remembered Rachel. God listened to her, opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son. God had taken away my reproach, and she called his name Joseph. Joseph is going to play a major role in Genesis, obviously, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Now, as soon as Joseph is born, Jacob figures he has been in Laban's service long enough. It's time for him to go home. He was, had succeeded in finding the purpose that he came for to find a wife. And hopefully he succeeded in having enough time pass before he would have to meet Esau. But remember also what happened on Jacob's way to the land where Laban was. He had a dream. He had stopped in and he had a dream and the Lord came to him. And the Lord said back in chapter 28, Behold, I'm with you. I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. And so Jacob is holding on to that, knowing that his intention as he was sent out was never to live there in that land with Laban, but, but was to go back to the land that God had promised. And now in this time, during the, this Old Testament period here, the land was key to the promises of God, right? 
It was that land that was promised in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, where he says, I will make you a great nation. I will give you a land. And those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. So I will bless you. And so it was that land there that God said, this is where the promises are found, here in this place. And when you dwell in this land, then you will be blessed. And so Jacob had seen this or heard this from his father because we saw how Isaac had been blessed by God and he had cared for him. He had seen this and heard this from his grandfather because we saw how Abraham had been blessed and cared for by God and as he, as he took care of these things. He surely had heard the stories passed down of Lot and all that kind of fiasco. What happens when you leave the land and you don't stay with that? But these promises go here that God has said, this is the land, here's where you are to dwell. So Jacob gets to this place after having earned really both wives and now he has children and it's time for him to go back. And so he says in verse 25, now I want to remind you here before I read that, Jacob also we have seen, started to see, and I kind of mentioned this back in chapter 28, we started to see a growth process in him in maturity. We saw him as the deceivers, what Jacob meant. We saw him in that way. So we saw him deceived and, 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 and kind of get what he wanted in a crooked way. And so we thought maybe that was bad. And then we started to see him start to grow and look more toward God. And that started there with that dream that came down. And he started to, to maybe show this, this journey in faith that's going to carry on. And what we see here in chapter 30, verse 25, is a continuing in that journey in faith. Jacob is not exactly who he, need, who he should be, but he's starting to... to understand what it means to follow God more, to pursue after him and to search for, for what God wants him to do and not just about himself. And you see this in how he related to Laban. Laban, his uncle, who was out for his own profit and gain. We saw earlier he liked those gold bracelets. Let's go talk to this man because he may have some more for me. And now we see Jacob has come into his presence and Jacob had been watching over his flocks and everything else. And as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Jacob says, it's time for me to go back to where God has promised for us. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go for you know the service that I have given you. Jacob is saying to Laban, I have done nothing but what you have asked me to do. It's time. I have not bound. Jacob has really worked as a servant for Laban all of this time. And so Jacob is saying, look, I've done nothing but what you've asked me to do. I've done it for seven years. You pulled the fast one on me. That's cool. I now did it for seven more. And I'm having, and I got, I got the wives. It's time for me to go. Even as I have children, that's where I belong. Jacob feels the need, knowing what the promises of God were to him in that dream, to go back to the land. Go back there. You see the growth even in this. And Jacob says, give me my wives and my children. I have served you that I may go for you know the service that I've given. You know that I've been good to you, Laban. You know I've done everything that you wanted me to do. But Laban said, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination 
Oh, Laban, that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. In other words, I need you to stay with me, Jacob. And why is that? It's because we keep going. Name your wages, I'll give it. Jacob said to him, you yourself know that I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. And then he lays out a plan. Now, at first, when Jacob first comes, remember how Jacob came to Laban. He came with nothing. He was laying on the ground with a stone for a pillow. He had to flee for his life. He didn't have a, a sheep. He didn't have a servant. He didn't have anything. He just was out on the run, and that's how he came to Laban. And now, after serving Laban, and what we'll find out is that it, it, this has been 14 years, a little more. After Joseph's born, we'll see a little bit more in a minute. But after serving Laban and increasing Laban abundantly, abundantly bringing him more and more abundance to his life and to his possessions and to his really his his whole kingdom here after doing this Jacob saying just let me go with my wife and my kids I came to you with nothing I'm ready to leave you with nothing I just got to get back to the land but Laban comes up and says I can't do that basically you tell me what it'll take because I need you to stay for me what are your wages so Jacob comes up with a plan. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats and they shall be my wages. And so Jacob is basically saying, uh, of course, we know uh, goats are, are roughly a darker color, maybe black if you, if you can. Sheep are white. So he's saying if there's anything abnormal out here, just so you know I'm not going to steal anything from you, give me all the abnormal ones. Give me the ones who were speckled or spotted or a different color than this, and that way you can keep the, the ones that are right. I'll take the ones that are abnormal, and that way you'll know what are, what's mine. I'm not stealing from you. And and everything else, that'll be my wages. And he says, so my honesty, now get this, this is Jacob. This joker put on a furry coat from some animal to deceive his dad. You know what I'm saying? And then he blamed God for it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's God. I'm in here. So this, this guy has gone to all kinds of, of mechanisms and, and things to, to bring about some deception. His name means the deceiver. And Jacob says, listen, after 14 years of me serving you faithfully, maybe at this point I've earned some honesty. Y'all know how that works. My family still thinks that I sleep all day long. That's a true story. They, they look at, I go home and my mom and dad will be talking about it. And my brother, you know how brothers are. He was older and he always thought I was one that was loved more. And it's probably true. And so we, he, you always think, because when I was younger, you know, if I sat down, I'd play outside, come in, sat down, I'd fall asleep anywhere. I don't know if y'all got kids. I love kids like that. So I'd love, I would love to have me. But um, 
you fall asleep anywhere. I just fall asleep anywhere. I sit now, I fall asleep in the chair. I fall asleep on the couch, on the floor, anywhere. And they always still look at me and go, I bet you fall asleep everywhere. You take naps all day, anywhere you are. I can't outlive my past. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I can't get over what they thought about I did. And now that I'm some odd years old up there, that's been 30 years ago. And so, my goodness, at least you could give me a little bit of credit that 30 years later, I've actually accomplished something in my life. And so it is with Jacob. Here he is, who is the deceiver, and he's worked hard for these 14 years to overcome that perception of him or that understanding or even what he's done. And so he's working hard at this, and, and, and he's saying, my honesty will stand for itself. He went to Laban and he says, my honesty will work. Look at my honesty will answer for me later. When you come and look into my wages, which are all these sheep and goats that are spotted or speckled. When you come and look in these wages and these lambs, the black, the goats and the black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. If I have anything other than what I've said, I've stolen from you. And Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. That's a good wage. But that day, Laban removed the male goats. Did you see what Laban did? Y'all know what happens when you move, remove the male goats that were striped and spotted? You don't get baby goats. You know what I'm saying? And all the female goats that were speckled and spotted and every one that had white on them and every lamb that was black and put them in charge of his sons. Laban comes up and he, of course, Jacob's met his match in Laban. And he takes out already all the ones that he wants. And so now here's the flock and Jacob is left with only the white sheep and only the black goats. So it's all, they're gone. And so all the speckled ones are gone. There's no wages for Jacob. So Jacob says, let me do something about this. He had a distance. They set out his sons distance for three days between himself and Jacob. And Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks, fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled and spotted. What in the world just happened? You know what I'm saying? This man peels some sticks and put them where the sheep and the goats make babies. And when they looked at them, they produced babies that look like the sticks. What are we talking about right here? I don't know. My, my um, grandparents and, and all them, they love to farm. You know what I'm talking about? And they live by the almanac. And they go in and and they would do stuff all the time. Like, why are you doing it this way? I don't know. This is the way it's always been done. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I don't know why I'm doing it like this. There seems to be a more efficient way you could pull it off. But this is the way you're supposed to do it because this is the way who else did it? Granddaddy did it before me and passed it on down. All we think that's really happening here is there's some sort of folklore about this. There's some sort of 
herdsman kind of craft that's going on about this. And so Jacob is using everything knowledge he can in order to, to make some wages for himself, right? And so he's using some folklore, some herdsman kind of kind of um, magic or something that he's trying to pull off. And he's using it here to bring about because he's already been gypped. And so he wants to bring it about instead of going and fussing at Laban for doing this the wrong way. He tries to continue. And so Jacob separates out the lambs. They it by the way, it works. They have babies that are spotted and speckled. And so he, separate, he separates out the lamb, sets faces of the flocks towards the stripe, all the black of the flock and the Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock. They might breed among the sticks, but the feebler of the flock, he would not lay with them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Jacob is out Laban and Laban. You see what I'm saying? It just goes back and forth. <laughs> Thus, the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. Jacob had come to Laban with nothing. He's leaving with two wives, some kids already. He's going up, ultimately end up to a bunch of them. Leaving with two lives, a whole mess of children and, and servants and flocks and everything. And the point of this passage comes back to God is taking care of his people who trust in him. Look with me. If you just look and say, where is this, Josh? Look over in chapter 31 and I'll get there. Because the Lord God is going to send a messenger, a messenger to Jacob. In verse 11, then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. He said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go from this land and return to the land of your kindred. In other words, God is saying, I'm the one who has blessed you. Before you think your little folklore stuff really worked, know that it is God who causes the increase. It's me who have taken care of you. And why has he taken care of him? Because of the promise he made to him. God always keeps his promises. And when we trust in those promises, we'll find the blessing of God. And so just as God had been with Abraham and prospered him, so he had been with Isaac and prospered him. And now he's with Jacob. And with Jacob, not only has he prospered Jacob, but through Jacob, he's prospered even Laban and all of those around him. God's hand of mercy is on them and he's taking care of his people. He's taking care of his people. And so at the end of chapter 30, you have God's, God's blessing has led to the prosperity that Jacob has now. Even through different ways and methods, Jacob ultimately is trusting in God. Now he's still scheming, but it's God who's watching after him. Verse 30, chapter 31 by the way, just thinking of that real quick, though. Notice some things that have occurred in growth here. First of all, Jacob does consider others even before himself in this passage. He takes care of Laban's stuff. After being a deceiver that has deceived, at the end of 14 years, even being deceived badly in those 14 years, at the end of that, he can say, you know I have been honest with you. 
You know I have done this right. He was working for Laban and he was seeking to prosper, not himself, but he was seeking to do this work, to do this work that was right and do it in a proper way, principled before God that he was doing it not just for himself, but for Laban. He was doing it that way. But not only that, notice how hard he works. This man is tearing sticks and stripping them. He's putting them out in front of him. He's got to find the stronger sheep and the feebler sheep. You know, he's doing all this stuff. But notice how hard he has been working for these 14 years so that he has prospered him. So he is not just trying to become wealthy at the expense of others. He's not just being lazy and letting things happen. He's working hard. But ultimately, ultimately, we'll find and we'll see that he's trusting God for the prosperity. And really, I think we can learn those lessons for us, right? We don't seek wealth at the expense of others. As my granddad, I like to bring out my grandparents, but as he always said to me, life is about people, right? And we don't put things or material possessions above people. People are more important. People are more important. And you see even here that God's blessing comes on us when we understand that truth, that it's not just about the material and the wealth, it's about the people. And so Jacob is working hard here to prove his honesty and to serve Laban in a way that's proper, not just to make himself wealthy, but to do his job and his role in a right way. But at the same time, he's working hard for it. When we say we're going to trust God for the blessing, it does not mean we don't do anything. When we say we're going to trust God and he's the one who prospers us, that does not mean we've been sitting around. If I'm looking at you and I, and, and, and I say in my life that, you know, it's God who has blessed me, it's God who has taken care of me, that does not mean and it has not an excuse for me to sit around and do nothing and be lazy. We work hard. We work for things. And through the work that we do that is honest and seeking to serve the Lord through that, God blesses that stuff and cares for us. He cares for us. And ultimately, we must trust God for all of this. You know, in the scriptures, they use uh, the idea of a farmer, oftentimes how we trust God, right? Because a farmer can work hard. You have to work hard to be a farmer. You got to till up the soil, get the rocks out, find the roots, get rid of them. You got to plow it all up and do it. And even in this day, it's a little bit harder because their horsepower was like one, you know what I'm saying? Or two. And so you had to get all of the stuff up and, and get up. You've got to get the seeds in the ground at just the right time. They had to do it without the almanac. And so you had to get it in the ground at just the right time. You had to make sure it was safe and sound, just the right depth. You had to work hard to make sure it was all taken care of. And at the end of the day, there's nothing you can do about it growing. You had to trust the Lord to provide the rain. And ultimately, that's here what we see. True work for us, as, as Jacob is realizing, and true prosperity comes from not being lazy sitting back, but from working hard for the glory of God and being honest in these things and then trusting in God to give the increase. Trusting in God to give the increase. And here God has blessed Jacob as he said he would. Now Jacob heard the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's and from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. So he's heard his cousins or whatever sit there and start talking junk about him. Now, why would those sons be upset about this? Because that's their inheritance. And so he's taken all that is ours. Jacob hadn't, he just outsmarted them, right? 
And so he's taken all of the hours. So he hears this. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So here the Lord speaks to Jacob and he tells him what to do. Now, I will say maybe some area of growth for Jacob comes back to the fact that back in chapter 30, verse 25, when he said, I'm ready to go home, he probably shouldn't have worked, maybe shouldn't have worked out a deal with Laban and should have just left. Maybe, you know, maybe he should have just headed on out. Whatever the case, now God has finally spoke to him. Now God has come back and says, it's time for you to go. And it's been about 20 years now. I know that from the next chapter, chapter, uh, well, chapter 31, verse 41, these 20 years I have been in your house. So he worked for seven, got Leah, worked for seven more, got Rachel. And now six years later, he's been working still for Laban. And it's time, he says, the Lord says, it's time for you to go home. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, he had to get them away from the house so Laban don't hear, you know what I'm talking about? Said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. Notice the omission for Jacob. God has taken care of me. God has watched over me. He is with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me. Y'all ever, I hope y'all don't have to have these conversations with your wives. You know what I'm saying? Your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times, which is true. He says, here's my wages. I'll take the sheep. And he takes, takes back those wages. And he keeps cheating him and keeps moving the goalposts and keeps changing the game and keeps doing the rules different and everything else. And finally, Jacob says, uh, here, Jacob, the mama's boy is growing up, right? He's working hard. Good. Now he's going to stand up for himself. It's time, he said, but God did not permit him to harm me. So even though that he has cheated me and changed my wages, God has taken care of me. He has been with me and he has not permitted, permitted Laban to harm me or his sons. If he said the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock were bore spotted. And if he said the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes. See, all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen that all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel. Y'all remember what happened at Bethel, right? where he came to him in the dream. I'm the God of Bethel, where you were anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. In other words, what Jacob is realizing is that God has watched over him and the reason why all of the sheep and goats, or how's he put it? It's like, it's like, uh, like Waffle House, scattered, smothered, and covered. Y'all hear that? <laughs> the reason why all the sheep, y'all go to Waffle House and say, I want my hash brown striped spotted model. See if that works. The reason why that is, is because the Lord knows. He controls how they're born. He's the one who brought them about. The Lord knows and he's with you. He's with you. He's taking care of you. 
Arise and go. Then Rachel and Leah answered him and said, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. He's even made his daughters mad, right? It's time. Our father has cheated us too much. Our father has done wrong to us over and over again. He hasn't left us one thing. He didn't even give you a dowry so that we could be established and taken care of. He hasn't done anything for us. So it's time for us to go. Laban's tricks and Laban's game have come back to haunt him and come back to haunt him and found him out. So Jacob arose, set his sons with his wives on camels, drove away with his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession he had acquired in Padam Aram to go to the land of Canaan, his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel stole her father's household gods. Rachel's trying just to get at him here one last good time. And Jacob tricked Laban and the Aramean by not telling them that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When it was told to Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him, pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And what's going to kind of follow after here is this pretty intense scene where Laban is hunting down Jacob and they're going after him. He's trying to get away with the stuff. He's got, I mean, just imagine the caravan, all the goats spottled, mottled, and coddled. And so you taking off and you got running here and you got everything and he's pursuing after him. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country and Laban with his kinsmen did the same in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? He didn't care. And here, understand this. Laban didn't care about his daughters. They've already said this. He didn't care about Jacob. He cared about his stuff. But he only cared about them the moment they were taken away, recognizing he didn't have any stuff left, right? So he comes out, why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I may have sent you away with mirth and songs and tambourine and lyre? And why did you permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do, to do you harm. But God, but the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you've gone away because you long greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said, Laban, because I was afraid for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your God shall not live in the presence of your kinsmen. Point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now, Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the gods. Now, this is pretty common in, in other countries and other places. Hard for us to, to imagine, but in, in parts of the world uh, where you have in some, some religion, some 330 million gods, right? And so each family would kind of make their own gods. Maybe it'd be part of their ancestral worship kind of thing or whatever, but they would have their own little gods, kind of like some have done with your own little, uh, little, what's that little angel called? Michael Landon. 
Y'all know Highway to Heaven? Y'all remember Highway to Heaven? Guardian angels. Some people, by something nonsense like that, they would put it up and they would say these household gods are the ones that protect our family. They're precious to us. And they may be passed down from generation to generation to generation, passed on down, if you will. And so ultimately, this is what's happened. Rachel has gone in there. She's been upset at her father. And so as she's leaving out, she swipes the household gods, the one whom by divination Laban had figured out other things. So now he's, she swiped these. And so Jacob said, I ain't take them, but if I did, that's fine, whatever. But if, if anybody I find take them, you can kill them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants. But he did not find them. Right. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now, Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in her camel's saddle and sat on them. Y'all, this is fun, isn't it? I mean, we got <laughs> mottled, coddled and spottled and we got all kind of stuff happening. And now his daughter is taking the household gods and Leah's up in the tent. Jacob's up in the tent. The other two servants are in the tents, but not, not Rachel. She's still sitting on the camel. And the gods are in the, the, the camel. And why is it she's still sitting on the camel? Because she's got a plan. Her daddy's been deceiving people and moving the wages all along. She's got a plan how she's going to get out of this, right? She's a chip off the block in some ways. Here comes Rachel. And she's got on the saddle, sitting on it. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Ooh, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. I'm not going to explain what that means. <laughs> what she's saying is, I can't get up right now, right? She knows that they're in her saddle, and she is telling her dad, I can't get up right now. Can't do it. And her dad, like any good man would, I think, okay, never mind, I won't worry about it. <laughs> so he searched but did not find the household gods. Now, I don't know necessarily can give you any real reason of why Rachel did it. Maybe she did this to get back at her father. Why is Laban upset? Obviously, he used these for some sense as something passed down, some, as it says earlier, divination that he would. Maybe he felt like that's a way he could find them because it's a way he discerned maybe how Jacob was going to do. But he, did, he found Jacob pretty easily without them. Maybe... Maybe it was this idea of inheritance. Remember, Rachel said, we don't even have anything. You haven't even provided anything. Maybe these household gods had some wealth to them. Maybe they were made out of some precious stone or some, something precious that they could have. And she is out of spite taking them to say, I'm going to take these from me. Maybe that's it. Maybe she's trying to get back at her father and she's claiming rights over them. Uh, she may have meant to get back at him. She may have even, for all we know, cherished them. She may have cherished them as a part of her childhood. Either way, what's happened here is that Laban has played this game too long. Laban has been after who? Laban. He's been pursuing after himself, seeking to, to selfishly gain things over and over again. And what happens when you do that? The end is going to come and it's not going to be pretty. You're going to lose it all. 
And ultimately now he's lost the one person who has made him wealthy. He'd been searching for wealth his whole life. You remember all the way back to when Rebecca was chosen by Isaac's servant and he saw that gold on his hand. And he thought that was going to make him rich, right? He's been looking for money. And finally Jacob pops up into his house, his nephew, and he is loaded. Every blessing has come to him. His crops are going great. His flocks are going great. He's got goats and he's got sheep coming out of his ears. He's got people everywhere. He's got all that he wants, right? And so instead of rejoicing and being kind through that, instead of being nice through that, he makes it to where his daughters don't like him anymore. He, nobody wants to be with him. And he's heading out and he doesn't even care about his daughters. He doesn't even care about it. He just wants his gods. And he's lost it all. Even the things he trusted in. Even the things that he felt like were precious to him. And I'm sure, I'm sure I don't have to tell anybody in this room, maybe it's been you in your life and God has saved you from such a, a turmoil. Maybe it's your kids and what you see with them and where they're going in life and what they're doing. But when you pursue after yourself and you're only looking for selfish gain and you use whatever mechanism or whatever device you can possibly do to get it, even if it is putting everybody else aside and only looking after yourself, that will only come back to get you in the end. The scriptures tell this over and over again. The only way we truly prosper is whenever we set aside ourselves and look to who God is and what he has done for us. That's the only way. And Laban here becomes this, this uh, ground zero case, just like Lot was before him in some ways. Remember how Lot was. Lot just kept pursuing and getting closer and closer to wickedness. And before he was tangled up all in it, and he lost everything he had. Lost his wife, lost his daughters, lost it all. So again, here comes Laban. Here comes Laban. And Jacob's not perfect. And Jacob's wives aren't perfect. But in some way, what do we see from them? They know the promises of God. And while they may not fully follow after it or lean in, while they may not fully do this perfectly, they know they're supposed to go back. And they act upon those promises. And they act upon those promises. And so Jacob has had enough. Jacob became angry. The mama's boy bucks up. Y'all know what I'm saying? <laughs> Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, what is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found in all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was by day the heat consumed me and the cold by night and my sleep fled from my eyes these 20 years I have been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. And you have changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. That was an intense scene, wasn't it? He's standing up to him and he's standing up giving all the credit to God. And Laban answered and said to Jacob, the daughters 
are my daughters, the children of my children, the flocks of my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom you have born? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness before you and me. So Jacob took a stone, set it on a pillar. Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. They took stones, made a heap, and they ate by their ate there by their heap. Laban called it Jagar Sahudutha, but Jacob called it Galid. And you made, and you, you and me today, I, I, could, I said Galid and Sahud, pretty good, but I can't get you and me today, right? Therefore he named it Galid and Mitzpah, for he said, the Lord watched between you and me when we were out of, of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. In other words, Laban is cutting ties here finally with Jacob. And he says, here's the way we're going to cut ties. We'll make promises never to pursue. You keep my daughters. You care for them. You watch over them. You keep my children. You care for them. You keep all of that stuff. Then Laban said to Jacob, see this heap and this pillar, which I've set between you and me. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you. And you will not pass over this heap and pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of the father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread, spent the night in the hill country. Verse 55 is the last mention of Laban in the scriptures. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. The last we hear of Laban. But notice the contrast if you take just 32 verse 1. Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. The angels of God met him. Even in this you see the contrast between the two. The one who trusts in the promises of God. Even, even though he trusts in them sometimes not in the healthiest way. Sometimes not in the cleanest way. He trusts in them. And he's heading home. And God's taking care of him. And at a very pivotal point where Laban could have killed him, he could have brought him, God took care of him. God watched over him and God protected him. And Laban heads back. Laban heads back and Jacob is blessed by God. The world admires its Labans, doesn't it? People who are willing to do whatever they can do to become wealthy, rich, and have all the stuff that this world desires. The world admires those kind of people in some ways. They look at them and say, look at this person. They, they made it. Look at all that they have. And it didn't really matter who they stepped on to get there. It didn't really matter what they did or how they accomplished it. They just got to the pinnacle. They got to the top. They became wealthy. They became rich. And the world looks at them and goes, that's maybe what I want to be. That's what I look to, to, to be like. I want to be prosperous in that way. But the prosperity of God is different. And understand this, even as we see it here and how it's laid out in the Old Testament, it's only pointing us to something greater, right? The prosperity of God for us is not measured in worldly wealth whatsoever. It's not measured in worldly wealth at all. The prosperity of God is measured to us in the blessings that God has bestowed upon us. And what you see with Jacob in this last scene, I think most clearly, is you see him finally understand that fear is to pass away and faith is to reign for him. He steps up to his uncle and he gets in his face and he says, I trust God. 
not you. I'm not worried about you. And God takes care of his people. Jacob was no longer worried. God was going to watch over him. When you understand the promises of God, then it helps you in your everyday life not to worry about the things of this world, right? Whatever confrontation, whatever may come, when you understand the promises of God, it helps you not to worry. And I want to say something to y'all. I'm not a priest here. You don't have to confess your sins to me. I'm just a pastor trying to preach the word, right? You can talk to Jesus about it, but I want to let y'all know that worry is a sin. Y'all get what I'm saying? And y'all are sitting there going, oh, that's scary. But I'm saying it's right up there with the other sins. Name all the sins you want to name and how bad they can be. Worry is in the midst of them. Because worry in and of itself has this idea that God is not in control. He is not good to bless me. He's not going to take care of me. He's not going to watch over me. He's not going to do all the things that I want him to do. Worry casts all of that anxiety, not on God, but puts it on ourselves and we bear it, right? And the Lord says to us, don't worry. Didn't I, you could, you could put it this way, didn't I take care of Jacob even when he was a deceiver and out in the land with Laban? Didn't I take care of him? Didn't I take care of, don't I take care of the, the sparrow, right? The smallest of them. Don't I take care of the sparrow? Didn't Jacob have everything he needed? Didn't I take care of Jacob? Even when Jacob wasn't perfect, didn't I take care of him because he trusted in those promises? I did. I took care of Jacob. How much more so am I going to take care of you if you trust in Christ, he says. And what we know is that right now the blessings of God, the blessings of God are not tied to a land anymore. They're not. The blessings of God are tied to a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And the wealth of God is not found in any material wealth of this world. He owns, it's not, we say this so trivially, right? We say it all the time, just trying to maybe, uh, because it's the rhetoric we use as Christians sometimes. But the scriptures tell us he owns the cattle on a thousand hills because that's how wealth was measured. So if you think all his spotted, mottled, and coddled, whatever, sheep and stuff or something, the Lord owns way more than that. And what he means when he says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills is he means you can't count what he owns. You can't even fathom it. And so we trust in him for the blessing. For in Christ Jesus we find it. And if y'all would turn to me, I'll end right here. And it's 721, so I'm going to end early. But in Ephesians chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 2. I believe Paul has this very sense in mind. Now, you talk about great chapters in the Bible. I mean, you got some incredible chapters. Romans 8, John 3, you know what I'm saying? You got some stuff. But man, Ephesians 2, especially 2, 1 through 10. Where Paul writes, in you... You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You were worse off, just as bad as Jacob himself. Right? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, y'all see that in Christ Jesus? Our location is not determined by a geographical plot of land, but it is determined by being in the Savior himself, Jesus Christ. In Christ Jesus, verse 7. Verse 7 starts out with a so that. In Greek, that's a henna. That's what the word is. And that is a henna clause. And a henna clause is going to tell us the purpose. Here's the reason why, right? You have been saved. You've been redeemed by grace. God has changed you. You were dead, but he made you alive. You were disobedient, but he has brought, he has brought a heart that seeks after obedience to you. You were a child of wrath, but he's made you a child of the promise. You were all of those things. God has done it. Even when you were dead, he made you alive in Christ. So that, y'all get it? He did all that. So that, verse 7, in the coming ages, he might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards you in Christ Jesus. He saved you to bless you. He saved you and redeemed you to show the riches of his grace. And the riches of his grace are not measured in how many cows or chickens or sheep or goats you have or put that on any other material thing. The riches of his grace are given to you in the fact that you are found in Christ. And so no matter what happens to you in this life, you know that you're headed home. That he's taken you there. And with Christ is where you long to be. That's what you know. So don't worry. Don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow has enough worries of itself. Don't worry about you'll be clothed. You think he saved you and redeemed you to leave you naked and alone? Don't think that. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. You think he saved you and redeemed you to let you even starve to death? He's going to take care of all of those things for you. He has not left one of his children starving and alone, naked and unclothed. He's taking care of them all, it says. Don't worry about that. But seek first his kingdom, right? And everything else will be added to you. And that's what Jacob was learning in this way. And he's going to learn this even more because here he's going to go to sleep on the way back home and he's going to get in a wrestling match. Not a wrestling match, but a wrestling match. You know what I'm saying? And he's going to lose. But even in losing, he's going to win. He's going to win. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. It's good. We thank you for who Christ is and what he's done. And God, I thank you that the blessings of faith mean that we don't have to worry. That you're watching over us, you're caring for us. Help us to seek after prosperity that you give, not the world. Help us, Father, to not seek to be like the Labans or treasure what they do. But God, help us to be people that honor you with everything we do. Work hard in faith. Trust you in the promises. And give you the glory from your blessings.
All of this we ask in Jesus' name, our Lord. Amen.